Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the uh, uh, most thinly attended Sunday school of the year. Um, Daylight Saving Time Day is always a fun one. So, um, If you were not here last week and did not get a Lego piece, can you somehow denote that? Julie didn't either, did you? Okay. Well, how about you hand them out for me? Can you, can you be my Vanna White this morning? Woohoo! I'll try not to catcall while you do it. So. That means I'm Pat Sage, so I should squat and shave my head or something? Um, so we're in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning, if you've got your Bibles open up there. and uh, So anybody that did not get a Lego piece last week, uh, just to get a little backstory on that. Um, <clears throat> this series is about uh, fitting in, it is about uh, using what God has given you uh, to serve, it is about uh, being engaged, it is about uh, looking around for opportunities, and the example, the physical concrete example that I used last week was Lego piece. Um, and some of you probably saw there were a couple, a couple of folks that actually changed their Facebook profile pictures. And, and let me tell you, that's when you know that somebody got it. When they changed their pr- Facebook profile picture, I mean, that's like a wow, it's kind of cool. So, um, But we had everybody pick out a Lego piece that kind of looked like them, maybe represented them, maybe. So keep your hand up if you need one. Um, so we'll just, how about we just pass it around? There's a little bag or a little box or something. Did you tear the bag? That's awesome. It was a glove. I was wondering why it was so awkward. Okay. I thought, this is the weirdest bag. Carrie Harness gave it to me last week, and I thought, what is this thing? It didn't make any sense. And it's like, okay. That's how lost I am, right? It's awful. Uh, but just to review, on your handout, you've got a, uh, a little uh, timeline at the top and uh, gives you an idea of where the, the Israelites had been uh, over the prior 150 years or so. Things had not been going well, but very, very, very slowly things had been getting better. Uh, king after king after king that they were sub- subject to eased up a little bit and eased up a little bit and eased up a little bit until finally um, <clears throat> the king that uh, Nehemiah was serving said, yes, absolutely, uh, you can go. You can go back to Jerusalem, and I will fund it. I will fund your travel. I will give you um, papers that say you're going to be safe throughout the entire trip, and I'll give you everything you need to go rebuild the walls and build the city back like it should be, which, if you think about it, that was a pretty good day at work for Nehemiah, right? Because he got a paid sabbatical to go fulfill his dream, so imagine walking up to your, job, to, your, to your boss at work tomorrow and saying, I need to be off work for a couple years, and I need you to pay me for it, and I need you to fund every component of it, and I need you to send uh, military protection for me, uh, and I need you to be okay with it. And your boss instantly saying, yes. Cool, <laughs> right? That was a good day. So Nehemiah spent about four months in prayer getting ready to have that conversation with his boss. He has that conversation with his boss. His boss tells him to go. So now we come to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. And kind of before we start reading the text, there's two blanks on the front page of your handout. Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and also the story of the restoring of a people. So we're rebuilding the walls and we're restoring a people. Uh, And the walls are very... Um, <clears throat> symbolic of 
the relationship of the people and their God at this time. They're all broken down. Things are not well, going well. Uh, but Nehemiah has, has got a vision and a passion for this, and, um, and he's going to go take care of it. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9, says, Then I, this is Nehemiah, went to the governors in the region beyond the river. So the governors in the region beyond the river, this is about 800 miles away, if you've got uh, blanks on your handout. And, and in this day and age, 800 miles was an unbelievable distance. Um, somebody traveling on foot, making good time, could go somewhere around 15 to 20 miles a day. Um, and I read that in these commentaries, and I go, I ain't making it 15 miles a day. I'll tell you that. I'm going to make it about two miles, and I'm going to need a, a break. And it might be a 24-hour break. But 15 to 20 miles a day, uh, well-equipped, well-provisioned. You could probably go 30 to 40 miles a day. Um, but this trip probably would have taken him at least a month to make. Um, so this was not a quick trip across town. Um, Julie's family lives in Mobile, Alabama, about 400 miles away. So it's the equivalent of going to Mobile and back. Um, and that taking a month. Right, so this is, this is where he's at. So he just had the best day ever at work. His boss has said, I'm going to do all this stuff for you. It takes him a month probably to get there. And it says in verse 9, Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And, and this actually is not what Nehemiah asked for. Nehemiah just asked for time off and supplies. And he also sent protection. So it kind of shows you what kind of relationship Nehemiah had with his king. Uh, he must have done a really good job uh, as an employee. So he gets there. In verse 10, when Sanballat, the Horonite, you may know what, where Horonites are from? It's a little Bible trivia for you. If you get this one, I'll be super impressed. What's that? Horon. Uh, no, actually. <laughs> what, what's that? Bet. Yeah, bait. That's right. Uh, they, were, uh, they were very well associated with the, um, uh, with the Samaritans. Uh, if you know anything about the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. These were not people that were always friendly. The Jews thought the Samaritans were this uh, mixed race of people that just was not good and it was awful and they just never got along. So Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. And our Am so here's my question. Are Ammonites Israelites? The answer is no, right? Because it's not the same word, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Ammonite starts with an A. Israelite starts with an I. They're not the same thing, yeah. So these, these were long-time enemies. Sorry, it's about as non-theological as you can get, but they're not the same. These are long-time enemies. So you've got um, Sanballat and Tobiah. When these officials heard of it, they were deeply disturbed. And the Hebrew word is actually to tremble or to quiver. So the idea is this guy is coming with an army and with supplies, and we don't know him. And we're not okay with that. Because these guys were in charge of Jerusalem. Okay? So you would think, perhaps, that Jews would be in charge of Jerusalem. But you have a Samaritan and an Ammonite who are named opposition here. So they are deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So if you're wondering, well, why would somebody be really upset? You know, Zeke, if something's going wrong at your house, right? Something's, something's really horribly wrong at your house, and you see help coming, right? So let's say your house is on fire, all right? 
<clears throat> your house is on fire and you see the fire trucks coming, what's your reaction? It's about time, right? I mean, get here faster, faster, faster. We need help. We need help. Why would you have that attitude? For obvious reasons, because you care about your house, right? You care about that thing that is in this dire state, straits. Okay. So what does this tell you about how Sanballat and Tobiah feel about Jerusalem? They don't care about Jerusalem. They care about being in charge. There's a big difference, right? There's a big difference. So they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So Nehemiah is just getting off the greatest day ever at work. He's traveled a month to get there. He's excited. He's ready to go. And the first instance of some type of a conversation that he has is what? Opposition. And you go, really? Couldn't the story just kind of keep getting better and they all just go do the work and everybody's happy and yay, go Jesus, right? Not exactly. Uh, Ray Stedman's got a line in here in, in your notes. It says, uh, whenever a man like Nehemiah says, arise and build, Satan always says, then I will arise and oppose. I will arise and oppose. Um, I listened to, uh, th this, this, these four lessons are the four sermons that Gary and uh, Brian preached a year ago getting ready for Easter at Coolidge. And I listened to Gary's last night. And he had this line in here, and he said, the greater the work, the greater the adversity. The greater the work, the greater the adversity. And, and I got to thinking about that, and um, it kind of makes sense, right? Right? I mean, the devil's not an idiot. I think sometimes we think that the devil's an idiot. Well, he's been at this several thousand years, and he might be smarter than I am. Just I'll give him a little bit of credit here, okay? He's dealt with billions and billions of people and has had thousands of years of human experience on which to base how he engages his forces to oppose us. Just maybe he might be kind of smart. Now, please understand, the devil on a good day and God, okay? Totally different. There, we are not equal forces, good and evil, battling it out. No, no. The devil on a good day and God, all right? The only reason the devil exists is that the, uh, God allows it. Right? That's just that's how much more powerful he is. But the greater the work, the greater the adversity. Now, one other thing. Um, <clears throat> could, so, so let me ask you a question. Who wrote the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah, we think he wrote this part, right? Because he says, then I. Okay. And who told Nehemiah what to write? God. Yes, the Holy Spirit inspired Nehemiah and breathed out these words, and this is what he wrote. So, so whose choice was it to include the names Sanballat and Tobiah? It was God's choice. Could God have said, then others opposed him? Absolutely. Absolutely could. Because look, um, look at verse 9. It says, Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, look at verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. What are their names? We don't know their names. These are guys that are on the right side of the, this, this thing, right? And they don't get their names listed, and the guys on the wrong side of this thing get their names listed. Why would God call somebody out like that? That's my water I'm going to borrow. Is that okay? For those of you that are new in my class, when I get a drink of water, that's the universal symbol for answer time. So why would God call somebody out like that? 
because he's taking names, right? That's, that's kind of scary, right? He, he got it recorded in all of time because the scripture will be present in heaven, right? So for all of eternity, these guys' names will be associated with opposing some work of God. Go, team Tobiah, right? No, <laughs> it's awful. This is horrible to be associated with that. If I put that there, that, you're not going to drink it, are you? You're not going to let Matt drink it, are you? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> stick your finger in it, and that'll be right. <clears throat> Throw a Lego in it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so, so a couple of things on this concept of naming these two guys. Um, when there are people that are in direct opposition to the work of God, calling them out is okay. Now, here's, here's where we as Americans go, ooh, I don't like that, because that's conflict, and that's uncomfortable. And you ain't saying nothing. <laughs> Nehemiah is fixing to go and smack these boys around a little bit. Uh, does he pull their beards later or something and call them names? And, yeah, he beats them and pulls their hair out. And I'm like, go Nehemiah, that's awesome. You know, the man's got a vision. He's passionate. He's going to go get this work done. He feels compelled and called by God to go do this thing. And by George, they are not getting in his way. It's, I wore my, <clears throat> I wore my, uh, my warrior Easter shirt today, okay? Um, all right, so verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And verse 12 is one of the most curious verses in the whole Bible for me. Then I arose in the night. I'm like, hang on. You spent a month getting there. You are fired up. You are well equipped. You are motivated. You have just experienced opposition. And you're going to sit on your butt for three days. Why would he do that? I think he was tired, right? I mean, he's, just, he's just tired, you know? He's a month, you know? I mean, you guys know how hard it is to go like two hours in the car with the kids. I mean, it just, ugh. Now, we're pretty sure Nehemiah didn't have kids. We're like very confident that he didn't have kids because there were only certain types of guys that got to be the cupbearer for the king, and they were not in the population that had children. Okay? We'll leave it at that. So, verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. Here's these others. I love them. They just continue to show up all over the scripture. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate. Can I have a pen, babe? A marker? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if, how many of you have uh, maps in the back of your Bible, but the, the city of Jerusalem at this time, then there's, there's theological debate over this. So I'm not going to get real hung up over it because... Most of you really don't care what the shape of the city of Jerusalem was at this point. But it, it looked something kind of like that. All right? And there's, there's great debate as to whether it looked like that or not. And I'm going, okay, really? Exactly. So these gates were down here. Okay? And he went, he started here at the valley gate. He said, I went by the night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate. This is kind of the southernmost point. 
into the king's pool. He's making his way up now. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So he kind of, he does this half circle and then comes back. And my question to you is why didn't, when we go and we talk about later on the specific gates that are rebuilt, he rebuilds gates here and here and here and here and here and here. But he didn't go look at those. Why didn't he go look at those that night? So he walks around, and he goes so far, and he stops, and he comes back. So why didn't he? Why didn't he go all the way around? I think he may have seen enough, right? I mean, how much can your heart take, right? When you are passionate about doing something and you see the real state, he had not seen the state of the walls yet. He had been told about the state of the walls. He had heard about it. He had not seen it yet. This man had spent four months praying for an opportunity to talk to the king. He spent another month traveling to get to where he's going to go do this work. And now he finally sees the real problem. It's heavy, right? Can you imagine how heavy his heart is at this point? It is just breaking for his city and his people. And he really only went about a half a mile, maybe a mile there and back. This was a very short trip, even on, a, even on an animal. Um, David Guzik, you've got a, a line in your uh, notes here. It says, we deceive ourselves if we only look to what is good. Nehemiah teaches us by example. We must look at the broken down towers and carefully study what is wrong. But only if we have the heart, the prayer, the vision, and the passion of God to be used, and the passion to be used of God to set it right. To set it right. It, a, a lot of people, um, and I watch this, and if you stand in the lobby on Sunday mornings, you'll see people walk by something and go, somebody should fix that. And a lot of times what I'll hear is, hey, Jim, somebody should fix that. I go, yes. You want to do it? Uh, talk about awkward moment, right? It's great. Yeah, we're the somebodies. We're the others. We're the ones that go get the work done. We're the Lego piece that, that may be easy to fit in. It may not be easy to fit in. I don't know. It's, we're going to go do the work. But we're going to set it right. Verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or others who did the work. Imagine having this secret, right? I know that I am well-equipped, and I am going to radically change this city. And he hasn't told anybody yet. Now, why wouldn't he tell anybody? He can trust yet. Why else? What's that? I think he needed time to prepare. Yeah, he had heard about what this looked like. He's only seen three of the gates at this point, right? He's not ready to launch this massive campaign, right? They weren't printing up T-shirts that said, hashtag rebuild the walls, right? That's not where they were at this point, all right? They were, 
I just now saw how ugly this is. And, and I need to go back and do some more planning and preparing and getting ready. Now, have you ever had an opportunity like that? Where you've been praying for something and you heard about some scenario and then you finally see it with your eyes and you go, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that bad. I didn't realize this was going to impact me in this way. Anybody ever had something like that? Yeah? What you thinking there? What's the first word of the Great Commission? Go. Yeah. And, and I, I think part of that, um, you know, you can see it on TV. You can hear about it. Somebody can write a book about it. But when you see things, Bud, did, is your perspective different today? Where would you just come back from? Honduras. La Mission. Now you speak Spanish. It's awesome. Cool. <laughs> He just told us all the Spanish he speaks, but he speaks Spanish now. That's cool. So was it what you were expecting? To a certain degree, but there are people there, right? What was there before? Oh, okay. Okay. Hundred and twenty kids. Can you fathom that? Can you fathom not your children not having seen, not having heard or read, but not having seen a copy of the scriptures before? That is that is unbelievable. Yeah. But when we see things, it changes our perspectives, right? It changes us because we're, we're engaged at that point. All right, so a couple things. How many of you brought your Lego blocks back from last week? Let me bring it back. That's cool. Like two? That's awesome. Woohoo! So if you think about Nehemiah's Lego block, what was Nehemiah's Lego block? What did it look like? Because he was articulate enough to talk to the king to say about three sentences on what he needed. Okay? If you look at his conversation with the king in Nehemiah 1, it was about three sentences. Okay, well, I can say three sentences. I can, I can prepare for four months to say three sentences. I, I think we can work that out. And I think most people that I know could prepare for four months to say three sentences. Right? I think we can do that. That's, that's a doable thing. He didn't get up and preach a sermon and rally the troops. and Nope. Just a couple sentences. So what else did he do? He had passion. Right? He prayed. You know how to pray. Okay. We know how to pray. All of us have prayed at some point. Um, but he was praying for an opportunity so that when the opportunity presented itself, he'd be ready and he could fit in right there. And he did. So pull out your piece and look at it. Is it a perfect piece? Are there any scratches or nicks or dings or anything on it? If my son has used it very long, it's probably not a perfect piece. It's probably got some scratches on it somewhere. Have you ever had uh, two Lego pieces pried together, uh, stuck together 
and you had to use something to wedge in between and break them apart? Yeah, you've experienced this before? Yeah. Um, what happens to one of those Lego pieces when you do that? Gets a little bent and scratched on the edge, right? And, and, and sometimes I think that's how we feel our Lego piece is. Our Lego piece has been beat up. Our Lego piece has been uh, mashed around. Uh, it may have been stepped on and cursed at a few times. Um, I know in my house we step on them periodically, and we have a, a standing rule. Ha, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> a standing rule that if, if, if one of the parents steps on a Lego piece, that Lego piece gets thrown away. So a path should be clear enough at all times through any room so that we can maneuver. And um, It did not take Caleb long to figure out that we were serious about that one. Behavior changed immediately. Um, but sometimes you, you may feel like, well, my Lego piece is scratched up and dented. Um, Caleb's got a couple of those, you know, those great big green flat pieces that you kind of build everything else on? Well, sometimes he'll build something and you go, I don't need that big of a piece. I'll break it in half. And I'm going, you know, and my OCD kicks in, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And, and I look at the jagged edge of that thing, of the edge that got broken half, and I go, be careful with that. You could cut yourself. That's now dangerous, right? And, and some of us have been broken in half, and we go, you know, I can't be used anymore. Absolutely you can be used. He needed a half piece. He needed a broken piece. It's okay, right? If your piece is broken, that's okay. This works. God takes all kinds of pieces. I promise you. So, so what's the point here? Well, on your, on your handout on the back, brokenness is all around us. Um, you probably experienced it this week. You may have experienced it today already. right? The world is fundamentally broken, and we broke it. This, this is not a, oh, somebody else. Nope, nope, nope. Our forefathers broke it, and we continue to break it. And the only one that can fix it is Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one that has the plan and the design for what the walls were supposed to look like. He can fix it. Number two, expect opposition in God's work. This is one of the most surprising things to me. Um, we have these growth tracks where people come in, and growth track one tells you about Stuart Heights. Growth track two tells you about... Uh, habits that you need to, to grow in your walk. And Growth Track 3 tells you about ministry opportunities at Stuart Heights. And we have people come back and after Growth Track 3 and they get plugged in and they go, they kick the tires on the ministry. Right? I'll, go, I'll go work in this group or I'll go work here and I'll see how we like it. And then we'll go follow up and we'll ask them, well, what would you think? Well, well, something went wrong that night and it, was, it, it didn't go like I was trained. Yeah, that's called ministry. That's called the world is broken, and so is the church. Okay? Sometimes we focus on, well, everything out there is broken. No, 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 no. We in this room are completely broken. All right? Completely broken. There is brokenness around us, and we expect opposition. Um, and then number three, time spent resting and reflecting is well spent. He spent three days just gearing up to go look at what he hadn't seen. Now, here's the other cool thing. Did he go by himself? No. Because he needed to have some folks around him that had that same passion, that had the same burden, that could lift up his arms when the work got tired, that could encourage him and he could encourage them. Do you remember what this looked like before we started? Do you remember how bad this was? Do you remember the, the place that our people were in? 
He had to have more than himself, even to start, right? Everybody, almost every time that I hear the book of Nehemiah preached or taught, it's Nehemiah, 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 Nehemiah. And this time, when I have gone back and reread and reread, it is, I see all the people, all the pieces that God brought around him. That small group that traveled from Jerusalem to tell him how bad this was. These, these men that the king sent, who I don't even know if they were uh, Yahweh followers or not. I have no idea. But they protected him. You know, God can use Lego pieces that don't look like they can help you to protect you, right? Imagine that. And, and then these men that he finds in Jerusalem that, that go with him to see the work. It's to be done. It's a beautiful thing. So the personalization, now what do I do with that? Well, engage with the brokenness, right? Engage with it. Don't, don't run away from it. It's, it's, it's there. We're broken. They're broken. Everybody's broken. Um, I said this a couple weeks ago, but uh, we were having a Wednesday night class. Uh, it was the, one of the parenting classes that Tim and Myla Archer were teaching last semester, I believe it was. And uh, Michelle Miller uh, was talking about how hesitant we are sometimes as, I, maybe I still get to use this, as younger people, maybe 36, is that still younger? Young-ish, I don't know. Very young. Very young. Amen. Thank you, sister. Um, to ask the generation that has done this before for help, how did you deal with this, right? When your 11-year-old looked at you and these words came out of your mouth and you wanted to rip her throat out because of it, how did you deal with that, right? <laughs> I got, I got past smacking her a long time ago. I was just like, you shouldn't even be able to speak anymore because of that. It's ridiculous. We'll edit that out of the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> but when these words come out of her mouth, what did you do? How did you handle it? What worked? What didn't? What guidance can you give me? What does the scripture say here that I am just missing? Right? And Michelle was talking and she said, you know, we, I finally came to the realization that I was scared about all the junk that was in my closet and I didn't want anybody else to see it. And then I realized all of our closets are filled with junk. You know, it, it's, it's not just, oh, this is my... No, we're all broken. And Jesus is the only answer for this brokenness. So engage with the brokenness. And I told you last week that this is one big commercial for Easter at Coolidge, right? Yes. So invite people to EAC. Guess what? They're broken. Well, I go to church somewhere. Great, you're still broken. <laughs> it's okay. Invite. Number two, rise up and confront opposition. Um, and this will be tougher for us because we're Americans and we don't like conflict. We especially don't like it in the church because we go, well, what do I say? Say, that's not right. I don't agree with that. My Sunday school teacher told me to tell you that. Blame it on me. That's fine. I can take it. I don't have any. I wore a UFC shirt today to teach Sunday school in, okay? I can handle this, all right? So don't tolerate negative speak about Easter at Coolidge. Don't do it. Just don't. Get on board. You know, there are a thousand churches in Hamilton County. We're trying to do something crazy big. And by George, we're going to do it. Unless it rains. <laughs> and then we'll figure something else out. <laughs> but we're going to do this thing, right? So let's get on board. And then number three, rest and reflect on the brokenness and the possibilities of, of restoration. I got to wonder, when Nehemiah is making his little half-mile-mile trip around the city, if he didn't think, What's that going to look like when we rebuild that, right? The new wall is going to be this high, and the new gate is going to look like this, and those hinges are going to work this way. They're going to tear down all that old brokenness, and we're going to have something brand new there. And, and for me, that's mine, because I don't, I am, um, 
this is probably going to surprise many of you. I am a naturally introverted person. Okay? My, my default state is sitting on the couch, not talking to anybody other than Julie, because I like talking to her. But that's it. That's where I like, that's my happy place. All right? So for me, talking about these things, these biblical things to folks that I know or don't know, that's awkward. That's hard. But the way that I rationalize it and get over that is, but the change in the life that could take place is so great, right? This is so worth it. My awkwardness is so worth this changed life. So for me, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And then at the bottom there, you see the sermon blanks. You have your books from last week, then those are the answers because that was the lesson I was supposed to teach. So I'm checking this box every week, okay? Yes, I am. Uh, but I uh, appreciate you coming today. Next week is just a few verses in Nehemiah. It's, verse, uh, it's chapter 2, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. So we're going to get really detailed into those verses and look at uh, what the text has to say there. So thank you for coming. Uh, if you'll do your prayer requests at your tables and make sure everybody signs uh, their name on the sheet to show that they were there, and uh, then you are dismissed after you pray.